Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus does not pull any punches in our gospel reading tonight. In fact, our Lord is so blunt and so direct with the Pharisees, and even the disciples are a little surprised and wanted to know if he had understood how badly he had offended the Pharisees. But even then, Jesus does not let up. Instead, he drives on the points even further. What is that point? The point is what you confess and teach reveals your hearts. If you confess and teach legalism and place your traditions above God's commands, then you have rejected God and his word. Jesus, make, Jesus makes it clear that what you need is a clean heart, not clean hands. Jesus tells the Pharisees in response to their question, which, as I've mentioned before, Jesus often doesn't answer a question. He often gives another question instead. But he tells them that their old tradition is leading them to hypocrisy and grave error. The Pharisees obsess over their old tradition, this tradition of the elders. So much so, not only about how your hands are to be washed, but even how much water you should use before you wash your hands before a meal. And yet, they would dedicate things to the temple in the name of God, rather than taking care of their parents. Their traditions kept them from honoring their father and mother, and yet they could not see how vile and hypocritical their traditions were. The Pharisees are the very epitome of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. They worship God in vain because they cling to their man-made laws and traditions rather than to his grace, mercy, and forgiveness. They're like plants that will easily be uprooted. They're blind teachers leading the blind into ditches that no one can get out of. That is, Jesus says, their traditions are leading them and others to hell. Now, it's important, I think, to understand legalism. We give two definitions that are closely related. We could even probably expand on more, but these two are really prominent in our text. Legalism can mean that one is trying to use the works of the law, even the Ten Commandments, God's holy law, to earn salvation. Legalism can also show itself when someone sets up their own rules and laws and traditions, and they do this to earn God's favor, whether it be for salvation or just favor day to day, and to make themselves holier and superior to others. Now this becomes necessary because when you realize that you can't actually keep God's law perfectly, it's the natural human tendency of our sinful flesh to make up laws we can keep. So we can pat ourselves on the back and say, well, I kept these things, but those folks didn't, even though we made it up. And usually these two things are often mixed together in various ways. I mean, even just consider our own church history at the time of the Reformation. Think about everything involving like monks and nuns. It was taught that it was holier and better to be a monk than to remain married. You could get out of your marriage and go be a monk because it was considered holier. You could abandon your wife and kids and go be a monk because it was considered to be a better work, a holier thing. They even considered it better than baptism, if you read it. And then think of all the man-made rules that went into being a monk. And this is why Luther railed against it so vociferously, condemning them the same language our Lord used against the Pharisees. Now today, there's kind of similar things that can happen to Christians and in churches. There's a similar kind of monasticism, if you will. Sometimes there's this idea that, that if you're not doing work that's directly related to the church, then your work isn't holy. That you're not doing God's work. 
Or maybe, like I went to a college where this was really big, like if you didn't go on a mission trip in the summer but instead earn money to go to the expensive private college we were attending, that was looked down upon because it wasn't as holy. It wasn't as good of a work. I posted this yesterday because it's from reading our confessions. But I said, be encouraged, dear saints, through the works you do today in your vocations, Christ is celebrating his victory over the devil. One of the things Reformation brought about was understanding that your vocations, where God has called you, which are outlined in the table of duties, if you look at that, it says, these are holy estates. These are holy places God has placed you to do his work. But so too, consider some of the many extra rules Christians create for themselves or others. Now, in and of, them, of themselves, these rules aren't necessarily bad. Like, if you decide that you don't want to drink alcohol, that's fine. But then to say, I don't drink alcohol, therefore no other Christian can or else they're a drunkard, well, now you've crossed the line into legalism. Or if you don't want to watch TV and movies, that's fine. But you cannot then go to the next step and say, well, if other Christians watch TV and movies, they are then wicked. Or even things, right, don't, don't shop at this place or that place because they support these wicked causes. And if you shop there, you support them too. Well, you know what, if you make that decision for yourself, that's fine. But the moment you start judging others by your personal decision, now you're adding things to God's law that God hasn't revealed. These things are always more complicated. But then we make to make an easy law for ourselves and try to make everyone else measure up. And even, quite frankly, in our own circles, in confessional Lutheran liturgical circles, sometimes even like little things and little parts of the liturgy can become this kind of thing that if you don't do it this way or that way, if you don't hold your hands a certain way or don't do it this way, then you're not as reverent, you're not as holy, you don't love Jesus as much as I do. Those kind of things are dangerous. Anytime you or your family or your church add to God's law and then judge yourself and others by that standard as to how holy of Christians they are or are not, you're no different than the Pharisees. The Pharisees then and now are guilty of majoring in minors and of elevating their own human tradition above the commandments of God himself. There is, there is this universal kind of human longing and tendency to say more than what God has actually said. A lot of people think we have a glimpse of this of Eve in the garden. Not only can we not eat from it, but we shouldn't touch it, lest we die. And we think when we add to God's word that we're making it safer and more secure, which is kind of ironic. The problem is practice, practices rarely become habits. Habits, in turn, develop into traditions. And traditions can all too easily become laws. Laws that God never gave and that threatened to encroach upon and undermine matters in which God has actually spoken. And so the call from Jesus tonight is that we all need to examine our own lives to make sure that we are not teaching the commandments of men as the doctrines of God. Luther quips in the large catechism that there is more than enough in the Ten Commandments to keep you busy for the rest of your life. That you do not have to make up and invent new laws and new rules to try to earn God's favor in some way. That God's law is sufficient, and it'll keep you busy in all of your vocations each and every day. Now this all leads to Jesus' next concern, how this thinking results in false worship. So the question becomes, how, how are we in danger? We can see the Pharisees there, but how are we in danger of drawing near with our mouths and honoring with our lips, but being far 
having hearts that are far from the Lord? Do we teach the commandments of men as if they were from the Lord? I mean, the danger is that you can come to church and go through all the motions, say all the right things, even come to the rail and receive Holy Communion, but not believe any of it, not have any faith. Your heart can be as far removed from the words of your mouth as the earth is from the sun. Jesus says this type of worship is vain. It's useless. It's worthless. It's pointless. It's meaningless. Which means it's not worship at all. At least not worship of the one true God. Now I think it's really important to remember that all this start with the discussion of washing hands so you aren't defiling yourself when the food goes into your mouth. Which I really find, in this whole section... I think we, we sometimes think, well, we don't have these food issues anymore, but our culture is pretty obsessed with food. It's kind of a religion. And so they could really probably need to hear these things pretty clearly, what Jesus teaches about this. Jesus says, and it doesn't come through exactly in our English translations, but he says, food goes in the mouth through the body and into the toilet. That's what our Lord says. Paul in Romans 14 says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So in the parallel passage in Mark, it says, Thus declaring all foods clean. That we're not bound anymore by clean and unclean foods, and to obsess over how clean our hands might be when the food goes into our mouth is missing the point, Jesus says. Because the thing that matters are the things that come out of our mouth. They're important because they come from the hearts. They come from the inner life, from the core of who you are. As Jesus has already taught powerfully, the words that a person speaks, especially the words they speak about Jesus, will be the measure of whether he will be condemned on the last day. Or declared innocent. Uncleanness is not created by food or unwashed hands, but by the dark things that emerge out of your sinful hearts. The things that you vomit up from your heart, through your mouth, and even in your lives, those are the things that make you unclean, Jesus says. This includes the sins Jesus mentions and even the ones he does not. Jeremiah, considering the heart of man, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That is, who can know the depth of its wickedness? Proverbs 6 says, Perversity is in the hearts. And James 1, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown gives, brings forth death. So the question then, Jesus really is driving home in all of this, is, what do you want cleansed? Do you want your hands clean or do you want your heart clean? In Hebrews 9, we hear, How much worse, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. We have to be certain of this, that there is no God. No God but the God who entered the most holy place by his own blood and won redemption for us all. 
Out of his love he became man. Out of his love he became a great high priest. And out of his great love he made the holy offering of his own lifeblood on the cross. A hymn we sing calls this his bleeding love. This was a sacrifice to God. And it fulfilled all the sacrifices, all the laws of the Old Testament through Moses that had been, they'd been commanded to offer as we even heard a glimpse of in our Old Testament reading. And because Christ's blood is the very blood of God, it only had to be shed once. So that his blood covers the sins of every single person, covers every single one of your sins, no matter how big or small or whatever it may be, he offers himself up as a propitiation, as the one who takes away the wrath of God against all your sins. So he offers his life in exchange for the life of the whole world. He offered himself without blemish before God and poured out his blood on our behalf so that our consciences can be cleansed from dead works, it says. And what are dead works? They're all your works, even all your so-called good works, all of your traditions, all of the laws you've made up, all of those things are dead, and Jesus cleanses you from them all. We contribute nothing to our salvation. It's all taken care of in the blood of Christ. All the sin that pollutes and defiles your conscience, and sometimes we try to deal with by making up our own laws, our own traditions, is covered by the blood of Christ. It's how we're able to approach God this evening. So that now he is the mediator. The one who stands before God for us, he's a mediator of the new covenant, the New Testament. The New Testament is blood, the Bible tells us. Think last will and testament. And the inheritance is promised upon his death. So the shedding of his blood guarantees the forgiveness of our sins and even the resurrection of our body. His precious blood was spilt to bless you with salvation. So that, to paraphrase Luther, he says that in the judgment, when the scales are weighed, it's God's blood, it's God's martyrdom, it's God's death that was thrown into the scale for you. And that fact gives you the blessed certainty of salvation. All of this we hold on to then by faith. That's why it's the very blood that's applied to you in your baptism. It's the very blood which you drink in the Holy Supper because it's the blood that cleanses you. And because of that, you can live as you are, which is free from dead works. You're free from all the man-made works, including your own traditions. Instead, you're free to live as God's child under the blood of Christ. As we saw, Jesus does take it seriously when you reject God's word in favor of your own teachings, in favor of your own traditions. And when you cling to your own dead works, when you cling to your own man-made traditions instead of the blood of Christ, there's only eternal condemnation. There's nothing else. But in the blood of Christ, there's cleansing for every single one of your sins. There's cleansing from all of your dead works and traditions that you would seek to cling to instead of him. In the blood of Christ, you have the full remission of all sins. Amen.